Hi, I'm Mark Cuban. I'm Jackie Keys. We're self-appointed experts in content and making each other laugh. Welcome to our podcast on the tools, where we talk about what we're reading, watching, scrolling through and listening to. This week, I'll be talking about a film, Worst Person in the World, and TikTok star Killian Sunderman. And I'll be talking about Netflix series Dharma Monster, the Jeffrey Dharma story, and book and film with Nail and I. Hey, Jackie Keese, what episode is this? I have no idea, 10. 10, okay. 10. I just needed to double check the uh, <laughs> recording overview. Um, oh, that was your intro to the... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not. What day is it? Where? I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> Last podcast you announced you have a heart attack and now you have a knee. Amnesia. <laughs> Dementia. <laughs> so... I've watched, you know, I love a, a great true crime novel or series. Um, Every day you talk to me about some <laughs> sort of serial killer you found. So, it's like to the point where I'm wondering if you are a serial killer. No, I don't think so. So, when Dharma Monster, the Jeffrey Dharma story, appeared on my Netflix carousel, of course, I tuned in. Um, I have to say, I had several moments of wondering whether I should or shouldn't be watching this. On numerous occasions, I switched the television off as it did mess with my morality. But I did persevere, and I'm glad I did. For those of you who don't know the case, the story of Dharma, who's a man who identifies as gay, who predominantly visits gay bars and befriends his victims, inviting them back to his place. Most, if not all, of his victims were black men. And once they were back at his place, he would drug them, and there the unimaginable horrors began. Um, personally, if I was invited back to someone's house and I could smell the stench of rotting meat, I would be <laughs> stepping foot inside <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, but, but these poor men did and were drugged and murdered. It's a really dark series, a dark Doesn't subject. He, so does he eat them? Yeah, he does yeah. all sorts of nasty things. But it's a really dark subject a really dark series. Uh, what I did love about it, though, the way they shot it in Dharma's apartment, it almost had this nicotine-stained hue, which just added to the misery. Uh, and from what I read previously, I thought the series was an accurate depiction of Dharma. The question of nature versus nurture comes into play. Evan Peters, who plays the role of Dharma, did an amazing job. I mean, he was really scary especially his transitions from, you know, here's his character who goes to gay bars, he drinks a lot of alcohol, he zones in on an individual and he's incredibly charming and kind of funny and then, you know, his character goes from that charming, friendly-natured person to out of control and he portrays this disassociation during his killings, which is just simply too chilling to put into words. I don't think the series glorified him, but I felt that there was a question around whether it should have been made, and, you know, I'll leave it to the listeners to decide. What was really frustrating about this story was that during his reign of terror, there were so many indicators that something was seriously wrong with Dharma, and in many ways he was slopping his work. 
the police refused to investigate uh, calls because all of the people that, that reported, you know, sickly or strange odours or witnessed Dharma with drugged and confused people were black Americans and, you know, low socioeconomic black Americans, especially his neighbour, who, Glenda, who made numerous calls to the police and was largely ignored, and she could hear and smell the horrors in the apartment next door. Oh, my God. Uh, In one of the scenes, and it's factual, was I think he brings home a 14-year-old male, drugs him, and, and this boy escapes. And there's a bunch of black women at the front of the apartment. They call the police and refuse to let Dharma collect this child. The police arrive and Dharma convinces them that they've had a lover's quarrel and that the 14-year-old child is actually 18 or over age. (laughs) And when they did eventually enter Dharma's apartment, they found this poor boy's head in the fridge. (sighs) I know, can you believe it? Like, you know, just it's too abhorrent. To, to mention. Um, I, I do wonder why I'm fascinated with the genre, but apparently I'm not the only one. Um, no. The Dharma series has taken top spot on Netflix weekly streaming ratings once again. It racked up, I think, 205 million hours of viewing time worldwide, and that brings the show to an all-time total, I think, of about 700 million hours since it debuted last month, making Dharma the second most-watched English-language series on Netflix. It takes the place of Brigerton and sits behind the fourth season of Stranger Things, which has, I think, a total of 1.35 billion hours viewed. And when you factor in non-English Netflix shows, Dharma ranks fourth behind Squid Games. And I think the final season, Money Heist, which was 792 million hours. But Dharma still has nine days left of its 28-day window, so it could easily go higher during the coming week. I will warn you, though, it is... It's really hard to watch at times, um, and you'll need a drink after each episode, maybe <laughs> in therapy, right? <laughs> Have you watched it? No, I haven't seen it, but I've seen some of, like, my commentary mainly on Twitter about um, saying, you know, that families of the victims are still alive and some of them have said that they feel like re-traumatized by this show and you know like I think there was one where the guy was saying you've got my cut like someone reenacting my cousin freaking out in the courtroom like why would you yeah it does it does beg the question whether it should have been made and what is the purpose of it but look does highlight nature nurture I mean it is an incredible series and I think editorially it's very factual and look, you know, it's not super gory, but you know, you know what happens, and just it's just this individual who's sick. I think the last time I felt this way was after reading American Psycho back in the day. Really? Yeah, it's pretty full on. And if you're squirmish, I suggest you don't watch it. But if you're a true crimes fan like I am, I think you should. I don't know if I want to watch don't it. Don't watch it. You're oh. a cry baby. <laughs> I'd like scary horror things, but when it's, I know it's real, it kind of is like, I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know why they went into that apartment of his because apparently it just smelt like uh, rotting flesh. It's not very enticing. Yeah, well, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no. And what have you been, uh, what have you got for us? Uh, I noticed how you curved that because you always throw rot. <laughs> <laughs> you just stopped yourself. No, I was been watching a film. 
It's called Worst Person in the World. Uh, and so it's a Norwegian film. It's directed by Joachim Trier. And it's it saw Renata Reinsver win Best Actress at Cannes last year. And it was nominated for two Oscars this year. So Best International Feature Film and Best Screenplay. I feel like a bit of a cliche because I feel like so many things I've reviewed in this podcast so far are about messy millennial women in their late 20s and early 30s. And am I just watching things that are like reflecting myself on the screen probably? And this probably does I'm remaining in- silent. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and this probably fits into that genre, but it, it subverts cliche. It's not the film you think it is. And it's really beautiful, funny, playful. It's actually also kind of tragic as well. But it is about anxiety of your early 30s and the choices that life throws up. So, like, what is my true career path? Is my relationship really the right one? Is that person over there potentially better for me than this one? How do I find meaning? Like, should I have children? Should I drink Campari or the Negroni? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big questions of life. <laughs> so... Renata plays Julie. She's this young woman living in Oslo and she's not really found her path in life, so she's not really comfortable with herself. She's flitting between things. She's changing her hair cut. You know, she's. I saw her described in a review as a work in progress and that's a pretty spot-on description. So she was a really good student. She started off studying medicine at uni. She was near the top of the class, but she realised she only did it because she could, not because she's actually passionate about medicine. So then she moves to psychology. (laughs) She sleeps with her lecturer and so she quits that. (laughs) And then she wants to become a photographer. Uh, As the movie progresses... Like all of it. (laughs) As the movie progresses, she also seems to want to be a writer as well. But she's kind of floating. She's ambitious but not really realising anything and mostly she works in a bookshop. So then she meets and starts a relationship with a man who's about 15 years older than her, Axel, and he's got a successful career. He's a a comic book artist. I thought you were going to say he's a Commonwealth bank worker. (laughs) Yeah, not as as kind of interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe pays more, who knows. But when they first began seeing each other, he tells her straight up, like, we shouldn't get into a relationship even though he's falling in love with her because... He believes eventually he'll they'll want different things. Like she's young and will want to explore life and they're probably going to hurt each other. Anyway, at the time, him saying, him saying that makes Julie literally fall in love with him. So <laughs> his prediction does seem pretty apt. Like they have a good relationship, but you begin to see these small cracks and like sometimes in a relationship that is, it is those small cracks that kind of eat away at the foundation of things. And she goes away with Axel and his friends and they're the only ones without children and it creates this sort of disconnect over the weekend and he realises while they're there that he's ready for kids but and she isn't yet and they fight about it. I have been in this exact situation, <laughs> like dating a man older than me and going to parties where we're the only ones without kids, stuck having conversations with his friends about kids and then me feeling like some sort of childless alien drinking my wine (laughs) surrounded by mums like talking about their daughters getting their periods for the first time I have nothing to contribute (laughs) so I was laughing at that at this part (laughs) but the film is so it's divided into 12 chapters 
And in the second chapter, we see Julie at a comic book launch for Axel and she's sort of at the edges of this event unhappy while he's talking to fans and other people. So she's feeling sad. She decides to go home and walking home, she sees a wedding and she walks in, pours herself a glass of wine and she crashes the party. She meets a guy there, Ivan, and it's immediately clear that they're attracted to each other, even though they're both in relationships. And they have this kind of amazing flirty night together where they push things as far as they can go consciously, like on purpose, testing intimacy without cheating. And then they depart and they have no intention of staying. So how do you test intimacy without cheating? Um, what do they do? They do a bunch of different things. So that she, they pee in front of each other. That's usually like years into the relationship. (laughs) They've started early. (laughs) They tell each other their deepest secret. They, what do you you call it when you blow smoke, when you're smoking into someone else's mouth? Rude. (laughs) In a sexy way. Passive passive smoking. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah, stuff like that. Doesn't work for me. (laughs) Anyway, meeting Ivan kind of unravels and changes things from in Julie's life, though maybe not how you'd expect. Like it doesn't go down the stereotypical path and it's more about Julie really discovering who she is and in some ways through other people, which doesn't really serve her well. And, I, yeah, I see parts of myself in Julie. I also see parts of my female friends too. I think it's a really relatable movie. But then my favourite scene is like halfway through and she goes into this sort of imagination sequence where time freezes and she runs out of her apartment where she lives with Axel through the streets of Oslo to find Ivan, this guy that she met at the party at work so they can spend the day together. And everyone she passes by in the street is frozen. Like all the cars are frozen, not moving, all the people, joggers running past her, like stuck frozen. I assumed it was all CGI, but then I watched an interview with the director and he explained that actually they're all extras who are choreographed holding their pose. What? And yeah, yeah, it's like completely all real. And he said that people were watching this when they were filming it in Oslo and people just started, who were walking past in the street, were like, I'm going to join in and they just stood there frozen as well. So then they had to stay there because they had to be in every take. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would have been a nightmare. Oh, no, it would have been like a whole day of shooting. So there's also a magic mushroom scene in this film which really makes me laugh and it's semi-terrifying. <laughs> Why was he chased by a tree? No, 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 no. I don't want to give okay. anything away. All right, well, don't. But, yeah, it, <laughs> it involves the bottom half of her body becoming very different. So, yeah. What, like um, a pan? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to give them to right. But, um, yeah, it's shot in 35 mil and it's gorgeous and everyone has really wonderful Scandi-style clothing and, clothing and apartments that I'm really jealous of. And it's got a really good soundtrack. So, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a nice romantic film about imperfect people, but it's not caught. And where did you watch that? It's on Stan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. I think I might watch it. It's good. Get an insight into Jackie Keast. Shut the fuck up. It's not a film about me, the worst person in the world. I have got, uh, it's kind of a book and movie, and it's an old 
old film, one of my favourite films of all time. I had to go down the street and was accosted by someone begging for money. And so there's an ATM there near an old used secondhand bookshop. So I pulled out some money, gave it to them and wandered in um, and kind of had a bit of a rummage and stumbled on a book by Bruce Robinson, the original screenplay with Nail and I, uh, which was first published in 1986. Bruce is a screenwriter and was also nominated for an Academy Award for his screenplay of The Killing Fields. Uh, the book is a delight and it made me want to watch <laughs> the film again. For those of you who don't know, um, it's basically a film about two out-of-work actors living in squalor during the late 60s. They have no money no heating, no future, uh, and decide to visit with Nail's gay theatrical uncle, Uncle Monty, and charm him until they procure the keys to his holiday house in the country. Uh, It is just the writing is unbelievable and I probably think it's the best British film ever. I've watched it countless times and it makes me reminisce about the countless hangovers I've had over the years and many with you, Jackie (laughs) Keith. I don't know what you're talking about. Make mine a triple Negroni and while you're at it, call the ambulance. (laughs) Don't ever go out drinking with Jackie Keast. You're the bad influence on me. Interestingly, With Nail and I sank almost without a trace when it was first released in 87 Uh, and it was financed by Handmade Films, which was the late George Harrison's production company and basically drawed heavily on first-time writer-director Bruce Robinson's experience. The film is virtually plot-free story and just follows <laughs> these two. It is very funny, you know, sort of just out of uni, looking for work. Uh, you know, it's that that kind of hopelessness or trying to work out, like what you were saying previously, Jackie, you know, where you fit, where where is it going to go, you're not sure. Um, but, you know, the, the film has now... Uh, kind of found there's a dedicated cult following which still persists today and lines from the film such as we've gone on holiday by mistake and bring me the finest wines available to humanity have become <laughs> you know popular favorites and the subject of countless internet memes um the the book itself which is the screenplay is really interesting because bruce kind of breaks down the characters but more interestingly he wrote he's got a little diary and he's got a a friend called Viv and they live together and you know I mean basically in this book he writes there isn't a line of Viv in With Nail and I but his horrible wine-stained tongue may as well have spoken every (laughs) word without Viv this story could never have been written and all I've got to do is look back through this old diary and it's Daisy stuck under yellowing sellotape is that me ringing or is that you that's you. Jesus. I thought it was me. I just checked. That's you. Sorry. Anyway, he said, Vivian and I lived with Nail and I for a long time before the weird thing happened in my head and I had to sit at the kitchen table and try to write it down. Um, one of his diary extracts or entries from April 1675, hadn't seen Viv for two years. He's lost his looks but not his habit. Scotch before <laughs> breakfast. He doesn't eat breakfast. Vivian is drinking himself to death. <laughs> He said, if there's a God, why are asses at the perfect height for kicking? I'm going to throw this phone. I don't know what's going on. It's your computer, I think. Oh, is it? That's annoying. Yeah, e- email. Anyway, 
<laughs> Hugh is going to have a meltdown. Hang on. I don't have email open. I don't understand. Anyway, whatever. It's got a mind of its own. Look, I think that, you know, if you have an opportunity, you should watch this film. It is, you know, a cult classic. With Nail is played by Richard E. Grant and I is played by Paul McGann. Uh, it is just an amazing I don't know, just an amazing script, really well written. And it's kind of beautiful and tragic and funny. Uh, And, you know, it still, for me, resonates today. And really, the story is still current, you know. So, yeah. Have you ever watched it, Jackie? Yeah, I've seen it years ago. I I haven't watched it for a long time. But did I know? Have you seen, did you see in in lockdown, though, Richard E. Grant did um, with Nell and and isolation on Twitter. He tweets all the time, but he did he did like a quote from With Nell and I every day. Oh, really? On, yeah, it was funny. He kisses himself laughing in every single one. But he said he can, that's the only uh, script from a film that he can remember all the lines from still. It is just, yeah, look, it's a, it's a stunning film. And what else have you got? Uncle Monty. Uncle Monty. <laughs> Everyone needs an I Uncle Monty. I need to have you, even if it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I must be back. <laughs> oh my god everyone does not need an uncle monty. <laughs> i want an uncle monty um yeah so i've been scrolling through well like i found this guy first on twitter his name is killian sunderman at killer sunday and so he's an irish comedian and he does sketches i find it really hard to describe like recommend funny people beyond being like telling you that I find him hilarious, but I'll try. <laughs> Killian, he looks a little bit like Irish Jesus and everything he does is super dry and made more charming by his Irish accent. I first came across him during COVID when he would make these videos going around and rating hedges in his village. <laughs> so <laughs> he created this little series, Some Cunt's Guide to the Countryside. <laughs> So he, he's he got in his bio that he's responsible for hedge talk, if that is a thing. <laughs> he also went into the cities and reviewed suburban hedges. And then he also went and reviewed stone walls. I think that might be my all-time favourite one. He's also reviewed bridges. And there's a couple of, there's some spin-offs to Some Cunt's Guide to the Countryside. There's a bitchy guide to ditches where he <laughs> mocks ditches in a bitchy way and then a dumb shitty guide to Dublin City and a dumb shitty guide to New York City, I think both of which are pretty fairly self-explanatory. Absolutely. But Gillian <laughs> but is like he's one of those people whose lives have, have completely changed because of TikTok. Like he worked as an English language teacher and a video editor before he lost his job because of COVID. And so he just, I think, out of pure boredom, as we all were during lockdown, he just started posting sketch videos. And so he... Are you still there? Oh, this audio went weird. Sorry, you. Anyway, (laughs) now he works full-time in comedy and he was just cast in a sketch comedy show in Ireland, TV show, so... Like a lot of these sketches are about just awkward things, which I very much relate to as a very awkward person. I would like to have a holiday in your mind. <laughs> like, I don't know what it's that just means. It's such a weird place. 
Like he does one which is about how awkward you feel when a two-seater gets free on the bus and you're stuck sitting next to someone but you don't want to insult them by like jumping up too fast and moving quickly or like when you have to eventually reply to your friend's five-minute voice message that you haven't listened to because it's been like three days and you have to say something. (laughs) And Killian, so he's half German and he makes a lot of really funny videos about like the culture clash between German and Ireland and one of my favorite videos I think it is like his most popular video on TikTok he has seven million views that he explains the difference between Irish people and German people in terms of offering and accepting things and I also think this is true for Irish British Australians versus any form of like Northwestern European so if someone offers you cake in Ireland your response should be like oh I couldn't possibly if you must like oh you twisted my hand like Germans are just really literal and direct. So if someone offers you cake and you want it, you just, yeah, bitter. <laughs> and like the issue is when these cultures come together, because if an Irish person says, oh, I couldn't possibly in Germany, the German person will just think you're refusing cake and walk away without giving it to you. And if you say, a German says, yes, I would like cake in Ireland, it's like, oh, you're a bit rude, <laughs> a bit direct, very confident. And then he did. He does one, um, having just returned from a trip to Europe, he makes a lot of videos about how frustrating it is to try to practice your German in Germany, where people just start responding to your bad German in perfect English to the point that they maybe even start correcting your English, which in the end leads to you not learning any German. And this is my exact experience having tried to learn Dutch for 10 years. Very similar. It's like, oh, you speak English. I'll save you from this awkward, embarrassing, your embarrassing attempt of trying to speak Dutch. Like I have this like distinct memory of trying to order four beers at a music festival once in Belgium. And I tried to order in Dutch and the woman handing them over switches to English and is condescendingly like four beers for you. And it's so demoralizing. I was so a bit drunk and a bit confident that I was speaking really well as well. Obviously not. And he also does one about trying to speak French in France where the French refuse to understand you unless you pronounce every word perfectly. So yeah. Anyway, he's really funny. Uh, well, that's it. Another rip down. If you like what we do, we invite you to follow us on the tools. Um, we're on subscribe. subscribe. We want you to subscribe. Uh, we're on and rate us five, five stars. stars. Show us the love. <laughs> what the platforms love. are we on? All the things. all the things. We're on everything. <laughs> Apple, Spotify, toilet doors. <laughs> Our numbers are everywhere. So you know where yeah. to find. So. That's another ep. Thank you for joining us and thank you, Jackie. Thank Keats. you for listening. Thank you, Mark. And I'll see you next week. See you Bye. next week. Bye. We're on the tools.